0: We are continuing our series this morning on emotion, and I think as I thought about this series, I think there's about three emotions that tend to trip us up in our sanctification, in our spiritual growth. I I would say there's about three things, there's more, but there's three main ones that I think trip us up in our sanctification. The first one is fear, there's sadness, and there's anger. So we're going to cover those the next three Sundays, so today's going to be... Uh, talking about fear. Now, how many of you guys would say that you deal with fear and anxiety on some level? Raise your hand. Be honest. Don't lie. All right, so look around. You see people that are like-minded like you are, um, that struggle with the same thing. So every, every season of life is present with fear. There's not one season of life that won't have some element of fear attached to it. And I would say that when I was... I first came to know some kind of fear and anxiety when I was about seven years old because... Um, this is a little bit of an embarrassing story, but I'll tell it anyway, because looking back, you go, that's a really dumb thing to be afraid of. But when I was seven years old, my brother and I were uh, doing the watercolor thing. He's a year and a half older than me. And we're doing the watercolor thing. And you know the watercolor thing, the, the cup of water gets real nasty and gross, right? And, um, you know, being a typical nine-year-old, he says to me, he says, I dare you to drink that. And I'm like, No. And he's like, I dare you to drink that. And so the more he amps me up, then of course i got to be a man and i got to drink the water. So I drink the water, totally gone. It tasted nasty. But what happened was, about an hour later, I started thinking, I wonder if that was poison. <laughs> and as a little kid, you know, you don't think to go tell your parents, like, hey, I did this. Is this okay? Like, you just, I'm laying in bed at night, I'm thinking, like, I, th- I bet that was poisonous. Did I just, I just drank poison, I think. And being a kid, I don't understand how poison works. I don't think that, well, if it's poison, I guess I'll find out in a couple hours. It's not like that. Like, I started thinking about, well, maybe I'm going to die. Maybe something's going to happen to me. And so I'm sitting in school the next day, just like waiting to drop dead, okay? And have no clue how this whole thing works. For two days, I was scared that I was going to just drop dead of this poisonous watercolor water, right? And uh, it wasn't until two days later, Mom, she goes, you just seem kind of upset. Like, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I, here's what happened. I explained it to her. And she just kind of starts laughing. And she's like, that's not poisonous, okay? That's, they make things called non-toxic for little kids, right? And so, but what happened was that, that two days of living in fear of thinking I'm just going to drop dead any second sort of sparked this anxiety and worry and fear in me that kind of lasted for a long, long time after that. And so what happened to me was that I've noticed that every phase of life I've been through has been marked by some kind of fear or anxiety that I wasn't really expecting. So when I was in 8th grade, I start getting fearful of, what if I'm not really a Christian? What if I'm not really saved? How do I know I'm saved? So what do you, what do you start doing? You start praying the prayer over and over again. i got to get saved again. i got to get saved. i got to make sure it took this time. And you play this game, and so you start to be fearful of salvation. How do I know I'm really a Christian? The next phase of life was high school that was um i played soccer and basketball in in high school and i was so fearful of failure at sports that i'd be made a fool in front of people so what i would do is i'd stand outside in on the basketball court at my house and i would just take foul shot after foul shot after foul shot three-pointer after three-pointer i built a soccer net in my backyard regulation size 8 by 24 with a net because i was so fearful i'd be in a soccer game where i'd have to take a penalty shot And I might miss the penalty shot and lose the game for our team. So what I would do, I would take penalty shot after penalty shot after penalty shot to make sure that I was not a failure in front of my friends or my classmates. Then the next stage of life comes along, and then I'm now applying for colleges, and I'm fearful I'm going to get rejected by colleges. So I'd stay up just hours and hours and hours studying for exams and doing papers and making sure I get the grades so that I can get in the college I want to get into. I was fearful of my future and where God would have me go when I went to college. Once I get to college, now I'm scared about what am I going to do. I got a journalism degree. I was like, I don't know if I want to do journalism. Right? They don't get paid a whole lot, especially at the bottom of the totem pole, right? So... I start getting fearful of what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make money? How am I going to provide? Then you start getting fearful of how am I going to find a wife? What if I never find a wife? What's going to happen then? Am I going to be single and I'm like 85, right? Like, what's going to happen? And so, in fact, I I worked at a um, at a place in in uh, college when I was when I was in college. I worked at a place that did a lot of wedding receptions, and so I worked every Saturday was like a big wedding reception from somebody in the city of Arlington, and so. Um, I would watch these people just get smashed at these receptions. Bride, groom, bridal party, groom party, everybody just gets smashed. And I'd be thinking to myself, you know, these people, bride and groom, probably aren't living pure. I don't know. I can't judge, but probably not, right? And they're getting smashed on the day of their wedding. Maybe there, were, there were times where people are like puking in the bathroom. They're so smashed. And I'm watching this unfold. And I'm thinking to myself, Here I am trying to do things right, I'm trying to live right, I'm trying to live pure, I'm trying to be sexually pure, I'm trying to not abuse the things these people are abusing and yet they're the ones who get to get married. I'm sitting here as a single guy still in college trying to work my way through and there were nights where I went home and just kind of almost shook my fist at God like, God, where is she? God, where is she? You say you have the best in mind for me, where is she? Where is she? And so this was a part of my life where it was marked by great fear, right? And this is what we deal with. And so, and just when you think those fears are gone, listen, just when you think those fears are gone, you have kids, okay? You have small little terrors, right? That um, we, we do things like put plastic pieces in electrical outlets to make sure they don't kill themselves, Right? This is how we protect our kids. And so we have little kids. And, and so um, you start having thoughts like, what if something happens to me? What if something happens to them? What if I get sick? What if they get sick? And a whole new realm of fears comes into your mind, into your life. In fact, recently, um, that last week, my son Landon, he got sick. He had a fever. He was throwing up. And so in today's society, what do you think my first thought was? Exactly. Now, on the one hand, it's not logical I don't think he's been kissing any West Africans, okay, but there's this little thought that you have in your mind where you're like, maybe it's something a little more serious than what we initially thought, and so um, I don't really say anything about that, but then I go to, um, to CTCS last week on Monday for, um, for lunch with my students, and I'm telling them, I said, yeah, you know, my son landed sick, and they're like, yeah, maybe it's Ebola, and I'm like, yeah, thanks for your comfort, thanks a lot for that. <laughs> so when I get home, what do you think I did? Google Ebola symptoms, right? You're just like, I'm just going to make sure. Okay, there's no internal bleeding. We're good. All right? So you start to have these fears and these anxieties. Every season of life, I would say, has some element of fear or anxiety attached to it. I want to give you a definition this morning. Fear is a negative expectation of something in the future. This is what I experience when I watch any Redskins game. You just think something bad's going to happen, right? You just expect the worst to happen. And so um, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at verses uh, 4 and 5 in part of this chapter this morning. Luke 12, verse 4. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. Now, I want to stop there. Do you realize what Jesus just said? I want to read it again for you. He said, verse 4, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. Do you realize what he just said? He just said, Don't fear those who can kill your body. Because after they kill you, there's nothing more they can do to you. Did you just get what he said? Right there. So after... After they stick a knife in your back and kill you, that's all they can do. That's it. That's it. That's all they can do to you. After that moment of death, they can't do anything else after that. Now, if you're you're walking on the street at night and someone walks up to you and at gunpoint says, give me your wallet, is your response going to be, I'm not scared of you? Like, all you can do is kill me. Is that going to be your response? I doubt it's going to be your response. You're probably going to hand him your wallet or at least turn and run, but you're not going to be saying things like, I'm not scared of you because all you can do is put me to death. That's not going to be your response. When I was in uh, eighth grade, we went, I went to a school that had a chapel service every Wednesday. And um, did you guys know there was like a first Gulf War back in the early 90s? Did you know about that? Um, not the one that happened in the 2000s, but the one happened in the early 90s. And there was a first Gulf War where we had to go in and kick the Iraqis out of Kuwait. And so, um, early 90s, and so there was this guy, after the war was finished, there was this guy that came and spoke at our chapel service. He was a soldier. He came and spoke for us, and he said that on the, f- the plane flight over to Iraq, he started thinking about all these fears and anxieties of, okay, what if I'm killed? What if I'm killed? My wife and kids are left without a father and a husband. What that's like the worst thing I can imagine, right? That's the worst thing most of us could imagine as a, as a father, right? He starts having these fears and then he gets over there and he actually read this passage, he said. He read this passage and he said, I read the passage and I realized that there's really only two options for me as I go to war. The first option is that everything's fine and I come home to my family And I'm rejoined to my family at the end of the sword. That's the first option. Sounds pretty good, right? The The second option is that he's killed in battle and that he goes to be with Jesus. And the more he read this passage, the more he thought, that doesn't sound like that's too bad of an option, though. The more he thought about this passage, the more he realized that, okay, what's the absolute worst thing that can happen to me while I'm at war and it's this, that they take my life and I go to see Jesus. That's the worst thing, I put that in quotation marks, that's the worst thing that can happen while he's at war. And so at first this looks like an insane statement but for Christians it makes so much sense because when you really boil it down. The worst thing that can happen to any one of us, no matter what your fears are, is that you and I go see Jesus. That's it. That's it. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you and I are apart from the body, we are present with the Lord. So that dude with the gun, all it can do is kill you. That disease you're fearful of, like I can be fearful of, all it can do is kill you. That's it. Just death, right? Now most of us, of course, don't think of death in this light. We don't think of death being that casual. But when you see from Christ's perspective, after death, that's all they can do to you. That's all that disease can do to you. And so for a Christian, we can find this verse in a way strangely comforting. Strangely warming our heart to understand that Jesus Christ the one with the ultimate eternal perspective has our best interests in mind. So I want you to look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. But I will warn you, whom to fear? Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus is contrasting here. He's saying, okay... Don't fear the people. Don't fear the things that you and I normally fear because after death, there's nothing more they can do to you. But there is someone, there is not a what for you to fear. There's a whom for you to fear. And so there is someone that you and I should fear, and his name is God. And he can do something with you after you die. He can do something with you after your life here on earth ends. His name is God, and He has the authority to cast us into hell, eternal separation from Him. He's the only one in the universe who has the authority and the power and the ability to do anything to us after we die. He's the only one. And there is someone you should fear, and His name is God. His name is God. I want to just tell you this morning, I know in a room this size, that there are people in this room, who do not live with this reality in mind, there are people in this room who do not live with this reality that that I should fear God more than I fear man. There are people in this room that right now you are living your life in a much greater fear of man than you are living in fear of God, in reverence and awe of who He is. This, this I just know this to be true because what drives most of our decisions. What drives our decisions is fear of man or fear of something in this life. What should drive our decisions? It's fear of God. This is what needs to drive our decisions. In fact, I will tell you this morning, I think there's a relationship between fearing God and fearing man. I think it works like this. I think that fearing God actually drives out a fear of man. I think fearing God actually will begin to expel slowly the fear of man or the fear of things that you and I live under in this life. Fear of God drives out fear of man. I think what happens whenever we, are, um, we begin to revere God and, and be in awe of him is that the fears that you and I struggle with in this life begin to get smaller. They begin to pale in comparison to fearing God. God and revering him and being in all of him those things begin to shrink now they don't go away completely but those things begin to shrink when you and I begin to fear, fear God and who he is and fear the authority that he has over our lives I want you to skip down to verse uh, 22 in the same chapter look at verse uh, 22 it says and he said to his disciples therefore I tell you Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, how many of you guys this morning, like, woke up this morning and you were actually worried about whether or not you would have food today? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. How many of you were worried about whether or not you would have clothing today? Anyone? Okay, David, you're the only guy, right? So, um, we don't worry about whether or not most of us are going to have food or have clothing. Now, you might be worried about what you're going to eat. Like, i got five options, which one should I choose? I've got 20 outfits, which one should I choose? But in that day, there was a real concern, a real fear, anxiety. Am I going to have enough food to eat today? Am I going to have the clothing to provide for myself today? The families we're going to give food to today. Don't think of poverty as some otherworldly problem. This is a big problem right here in Bell County. You see it, you know it's true. And we're going to deliver food today to people that genuinely have need. People that genuinely don't know this morning what they're going to eat today. And so in this day as well, people had this great fear, anxiety of what am I going to eat? What am I going to put on? And here's the funny thing about this passage. I can't imagine a more frightful place to be than to not know what you're going to eat that day, right? Most of us, our anxieties are very future, very distant, but they're there. But for these people, there's a real fear of what am I going to put in my mouth today so I can have energy to survive. That's it. That's all I want. I don't know what it's going to be. And Jesus is telling them to put those fears to rest. He is saying, he says, for life is more than food. Life's more than food. Life's more than clothing. Life's about more than the stuff that you and I get anxious about. One writer, one speaker says, Matt Chandler says this, Put this uh, next quote up on the screen. He says, if you hold too tightly to things you shouldn't hold too tightly to, then fear and anxiety will mark your life. If you and I grab a hold of things too tightly, almost like in an idolatrous fashion, then fear and anxiety are going to mark our life. I mean, think it's especially true whenever, whenever we um, get new things. You ever notice how when you have something that's old and you replace it, that your anxiety goes way up? The new thing now, but you're like, I, I can't destroy that. So for in our house, uh, the past few months, we've been trying to get some some new couches, some new curtains, some new stuff, just to make sure our house doesn't look like trash, right? And so we're trying to upgrade some things. And the couch that we used to have was the one that uh, we got when we first got married. It was an old couch. It's been like 10, 11 years now. So it's, it's getting um, way past its life expectancy. And uh, in fact, there was this one little... Um, leg on it that if you sat on the couch a certain way, the leg would just go boom, and you're now riding like a three-wheeler, okay? And, and so um, this is how old this couch was. And so when my kids would say things before like, um, Daddy, can we eat dinner like, by the couch today? I'd be like, hey man, dump your spaghetti on the couch for all I care and eat off the couch. I don't really care how, what you do. with This couch is old, right? But now the kids get close to the couch with some food. I'm like, get off the couch! Get away from that. Let's put like a line around the couch. You can't go in this line around the couch. This is the, we're going to quarantine the couch from you guys, okay? And so this is how we think of our stuff because it's new. We start to hold tightly to things. We start to think that um, I can't let anything happen to this. This is now, this is now what I want. And fear and anxiety start to mark our life. So we see in this passage that Jesus says life is more than the things that cause us fear and anxiety. I want you to think right now about the things that cause you great fear and anxiety. What are they? Just think in your mind, what are they? Jesus is saying that life is more than those things. Life is more than that. Life is more than the things that cause us great fear and anxiety. I want you to um, think about this. There are really two kinds of fear that you and I have. And I'm going to tell you that one of them is a healthy fear. The other one is an unhealthy fear. So, for example, my daughter, she is four years old. And so if she goes out the front door, is it right and good for me to be thinking about her running into the street? Is it right and good for me to say, hey, Sienna, like, you can't go out there unless I come out there with you. You you can't be out there alone because I'm fearful that she's going to dart across the street without looking. Is that a healthy fear? That's a healthy fear. That's a good fear. It's a constructive fear. It's a protective fear. But if I'm still concerned about that when she's 32, <laughs> if I just live in anxiety and fear and I'm, she's 32 and I'm 60, whatever it is, and I'm like laying in bed at night, I'm like, Courtney, I, I can't sleep. Like I'm just fearful that Stan is going to run out into the street and get hit by a car. Like, that's a little, I mean, yeah, that's a little messed up, right? <laughs> that's that's an unhealthy fear. Now, it could happen, right? But for me to obsess over it and to be consumed by it, we'd say it's an unhealthy fear. And so for all of us, there are healthy fears and there are unhealthy fears. And, and so um, I think many of us were consumed by this unhealthy anxiety that just sort of clouds our existence, right? It just clouds our existence. And it's where we find ourselves. Look down at verse 24. It says this, 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So this verse does not give us permission to be lazy. It does not mean sit back on the couch and just let life come to you. Don't do any work. Don't have a savings account. Don't have a checking account. This is not what this verse is about. This verse is not about being lazy, giving us permission to be lazy with what God's given us. Um, you know, when this verse talks about birds and how God provides for birds. And uh my wife, she's somewhere, I think, in the room, and she um I, I noticed early on in our marriage that that she doesn't like to just feed the animals that we actually own. But she likes to feed the, the animals that live in the city, like birds and stuff. Okay? And so um she wants to get bird feed from the store and she wants to put it out for the birds. And my first reaction to that was, you know, well well, Courtney, you know, in in Luke 12, it says that um, God feeds the birds, and so we don't have to. (laughs) And then, of course, she could say back to me, well, God is wanting us to be the ones that feed them, right? And he wants to use us to feed these birds. And so, but as you know about bird feed, um, bird feed never just stays bird feed. It becomes squirrel feed, right? Squirrels love bird feed. And, and I'll also tell you that there's no such thing as a squirrel-proof bird feeder, no matter what they say. Um, we bought all of those, and none of them work. And um, there'll be a, bird, a, a squirrel on the bird feeder, like the squirrel-proof bird feeder, um, like a scene out of the movie Cliffhanger, just like hanging on the side of it and like fi- finding a way to get the bird seed into his mouth. And so, um, but occasionally we'll run out of bird feed, and in the middle of summer, it's really funny, this one squirrel will uh, perch himself up on the ledge of our windowsill. And if we're out of bird feed, um, I can be like looking at him through the glass like this close and he'll be just like stuffing dead beetles into his mouth like this. And the funny thing about it is that he looks at me in the eye like he's saying something. He's like, he's like saying to me, you see what I have to do? You see what I have to do to provide for myself, right? And, and it's like this look of just guilt that he tries to make me feel in this moment. And, um, and so, so what do we get from that is that, that God, listen, when we're not putting the bird feed out, God provides a nice, tasty beetle with a hard candy shell, okay? And this squirrel is provided for, and so God has this system set up in our world where things somehow get fed, things somehow get provided for, and I know that whenever we read that verse, we have to ask the real serious question is, well, what about the people who starve? Because that's a reality, is it not? There are people that starve. And, and so how does this verse jive with the reality of suffering that some people out there, even Christians, starve to death? Because that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. If this verse says God provides for his people, even, even the birds, well, well, there are some animals that starve sometimes, right? So how can this verse be true? True. We would say, yeah, God feeds people, except for when he doesn't, right? So what is this verse really getting at? I want to say this morning, I don't think this verse is really saying to us that suffering never happens. It's not saying that suffering is not a reality. This verse is about anxiety. This verse is about the constant fear and trepidation and worry, and living in this black cloud of just despair, being so worried about the suffering, being so worried about the things that can so often consume us. This verse is saying that you can't let fear and anxiety be the ruler and reigner supreme over your life. In verse 25, we see actually proof of this. In verse 25, it says... And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You know what's beneath that verse? Death, right? Beneath that verse is death, that we all die. How many of your parents are doing, like, P90X, insanity, paleo, like, raise your hands, parents doing that stuff? Um, A few of them are. Eventually, we're all going to die. Now, we might delay the inevitable a little bit, but eventually, we're all going to die. And this verse is pointing to that. And so Christ is basically asking the question, what does anxiety actually accomplish in our lives? No matter what you and I do, we're not going to add a single hour or minute to our life. His sovereignty covers over that. We can't add time to our life. And so this verse, I don't think it's about whether or not we're going to suffer, because we're all going to suffer. It's really about anxiety. Are you going to let fear and anxiety rule your life? As you fear the coming suffering. Is that how you're going to respond to it? Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Again, this is not about being lazy, not about working. It's not about... Uh, not working hard, or putting effort into things. This is talking about if you that um, life is more than food and drink. Life is more than the things that you and I get anxious and fearful about. And so verse 30 even talks about this fear and anxiety will drive some nations to war over these things. Look in uh, verse 30 as well where it says, and your father knows that you need them. There are some of you here today that need to hear that phrase, that God knows exactly what you need when you need it. He knows. He knows what you need when you need it. There is not one thing you and I need that God doesn't already know about. There isn't. In the verse 31, he says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So what he's saying is that if you spend your life seeking his kingdom, You let him take care of the details and the rest of it. Let him take care of those things. You seek after him and his kingdom. Look at verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I think what this verse very clearly says is that at the root of our fear is a belief that God is not very good. We've talked a lot about this the last two weeks, that if you're really going to let emotion play the role in your life that God wants it to play in your life, you've got to get beneath your emotions, get behind the emotions, and understand some of the disbelief, some of the unbelief, some of the idolatry that's behind the emotion. This is what we have to do in order to be sanctified, in order to grow. You don't stuff emotion down. You don't just vent emotion. But you let God get to the root of some of your sin. You let God use the emotion to get to the root of some of your sin. And for many of us, our fear and anxiety is connected to this fear, this lack of trust that God is good. This is where it comes from for us. This is where it comes from for us. Matt Chandler, he also says this next statement. He says, You'll never have victory over fear and anxiety until you confront what's behind it, and that is your lack of trust that God is good. You've got to get behind the emotions and fears and anxieties that you feel to understand some of the sins behind it, some of the the unbelief behind these kinds of things. And I think what happens um, when you get there is that um, you begin to grow be sanctified in a way that you never thought was possible. This is how God wants to grow you. You, you see how um, throughout this whole series, we're going to touch, keep touching on this idea that um, many of you have to stop pretending that you're not scared. You've got to stop pretending that you're not fearful of things. You've got to stop pretending that you're not anxious about stuff. I talked a lot to the guys last week, and I said to the guys, you know, really when you're, as a man, when you're afraid to show your emotions, even your good emotions, there's really a lot of cowardice behind that, isn't there? It's, it's kind of ironic that in your effort to be a man, in your effort to be brave, in your effort to have this bravado, that behind all that is really a scared little boy, is really a scared person who doesn't want to get real. Doesn't want to get transparent. And so I'm going to encourage you this morning to stop pretending that you're not scared of things. Stop pretending you aren't fearful. fearful. Stop pretending you aren't anxious about things. And get to the root of what's behind those things. Is it a lack of trust that God's good? Is it a lack of faith? Is it some idolatry that you're struggling with? I also want to encourage you throughout this series that we don't just vent our fears We don't just vent our emotions, and we don't just ignore our emotions and our fears. I don't have time to go into this passage, but if you have time later, read Psalm chapter 3. Because you'll see in that that psalm that David doesn't do either one of these things. He doesn't just vent his fears, and he doesn't ignore his fears. But Psalm 3, David prays his fears to God. David brings his fears to God. He, in a sense, vents his fears to God. But so many of us just vent your fears to your, to your friends, to your parents, even to your enemies, or you stuff your fears. You hide your fears. You're scared to talk about your fears. And what we see in Psalm chapter 3 is that David prays his fears. You see a prayer in Psalm chapter 3 where David is saying to God what he's fearful of, but then also counting on God and his character to come through for him. And not just in victory, but even if he were to die, he knows that he still serves and he can trust in a good God. You guys have some questions to look at at your tables. Go ahead and discuss uh, your questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss.